There's this question on my mind, so I headed to Walmart to look for answers. I stood at the entrance of the store and asked unsuspecting customers how they split up their housework. I was expecting a lot of this. Girls always do more shit than boys, I mean, more stuff than boys. She said she does most of it, but we do try to split it some. But I also heard... I live with a couple of cats, and, and so they clean the dishes for me. We play cribbage to see who does the dishes or the laundry. Would you like to be my maid? I think that would be wonderful. Some people seemed satisfied with the way things were. It works out well. I don't feel resentful or anything that I do most of it because he does what he can. Well, other people were fed up. A woman can't do it all. She may try, but she shouldn't have to do it all. Most of the time, the women get stuck doing everything from what I see, so I don't think it's fair. So, here is my question. What's the difference between couples who seem happy with their arrangement and ones who don't? And more importantly... How do I get my husband to do the dishes? You're listening to Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast that explores the meeting place between feminist ideals and the realities of women's lives. This is a show for anyone who's trying to figure out how feminism fits into their experience of the world. I'm your host, Donna Cleveland, and in this episode, I'll share my finding on a topic that's close to my heart. I'm married to a man, and over the years I've noticed that I keep falling into the role of doing most of the stereotypically female chores around the house. For me, this has felt distinctly not okay. My husband Tyler and I both work full-time, so in my mind, we'd ideally split up the chores 50-50. After we moved in together, I broached the conversation with him. And he quickly let me know that he also thought we should split the chores equally. And I could tell that he was genuine. He wasn't intentionally leaving the chores for me. I've gone back and forth on how to handle this problem. I've tried not cleaning or cooking, but that really only bothered me, as Tyler didn't really mind living in a messy house and eating a bunch of Taco John's. Next, I tried being cool with it as I really did not want to become one of those old married couples who bickered all the time over seemingly nothing. But then I'd end up feeling resentful eventually. Finally, I tried fighting about it. I'd march into the TV room ready to duke it out when I'd come home to a sink still full of dishes or an unmade bed. Fighting over household chores is common in many relationships, and it may sound pretty trivial, But in my experience, it's kind of like a bug bite that you itch so much that you let it get infected. What started out as no big deal can quickly become a chronic irritation. What I found most frustrating about all of this is how avoidable the problem seems. If you ask my husband Tyler, he'd probably say I have a relentless obsession with the dishes and that I should relax. Whereas if you ask me, I'd say he should just do all the chores I ask him to do and be less of a contrarian. And therein lies the problem. Tyler and I weren't getting anywhere with our arguments. So I decided to talk to married friends of mine who, as far as I knew, had never fought about the dishes. Wife, 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 wife. That's Amanda. Doesn't start that way. And that's Crystal. (laughs) You start it. Wife. 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 This is how we call each other in the house. Mm -hmm. 
These two live together in Austin, Texas, have been married for almost seven years, and have a one-year-old daughter named Henry. They started dating more than a decade ago. I met her sister first through a mutual friend and was at a dinner party. Crystal came over to say hello and I thought she was extremely beautiful. I actually thought she looked like an angel and I'm not much of a believer in religious things, but it's just what she looked like to me. 10 years later and not much has changed. We were actually super appreciative of each other, like really verbally, probably aggressively appreciative. (laughs) After a little questioning, my suspicion was confirmed. Have you guys ever thought about who does the dishes? No. I found myself wondering if the fact that they are a same-sex couple that doesn't have the baggage of gender roles that so many different sex couples come into relationships with had anything to do with their happy dynamic at home. This line of thinking led me to organizational psychologist Ken Matos, who set out to answer this same question a few years ago. I got interested in this project in large part because a colleague of mine uh, asked the question of, you know, what is it that same-sex couples might be doing right as opposed to what different sex couples might be doing? Is there something that uh, can be learned or applied more broadly in thinking about how couples divide responsibilities, especially around childcare? In 2015, Matos headed up a large-scale study with 225 couples, including same-sex and mixed-gender couples. In all of the couples, both people worked outside the home. This created a controlled environment where Matos could see if, in fact, same-sex couples divide labor in a different way, and if so, to see if there were lessons we could glean from these differences. What we found was with the different-sex couples, things very much lined up with gender expectations. So men tended to earn more, work more hours, and do stereotypically male things. Women tended to do stereotypically female chores, they worked less hours, and they made less money. When we looked at the same-sex couples, what we found was that the amount of money you make and the number of hours you spend at work didn't predict what you ended up doing very well. So if hours worked and money earned didn't predict who did the housework with same-sex couples, then what did? There really was very little consistency within same-sex couples about how they were dividing things. And the few places where we did find significant results, it was just, it was more towards equity and sharing than it was towards either person being the primary doer of anything. Matos found that the sharing of household tasks was most striking when you threw kids into the mix. When asked about childcare, 74% of same-sex couples said they shared duties compared to just 38% of straight couples. That means that for the majority of straight couples, one parent is taking primary responsibility. So Matos was beginning to find answers to his initial question. What is it that same-sex couples might be doing right? Same-sex couples were not using gender roles to split up housework, and they were sharing more of the workload at home. However, I was about to learn that this may actually have nothing to do with why Crystal and Amanda had never thought about the dishes. But before I go any further, I want to pause and put this study in context by taking a look at the big picture. Who is doing housework in America? Let's take a look at the latest numbers from the Bureau of Labor Statistics to find out. 
On an average day, women spend nearly two and a half hours on housework compared to the nearly one and a half hours men spend. That's a whole extra hour women are spending that they could be using to get more done at work or, I don't know, enjoy themselves. According to the same survey, women also spend more than twice as much time caring for other members of the household than men do. Some of you may be wondering, are stay-at-home moms who take on more chores while their husbands are working inflating this statistic? The answer is no. In reality, a higher percentage of moms are in the workforce, 70% to be exact, compared to the national average for women, which is 57%. With moms working at such a high rate, stay-at-home moms can't account for why women are stuck with more housework in America. Here's something that confused me about all this. While inequality between men and women when it comes to housework persists, According to a recent Pew Research study, more than half of married U.S. adults say sharing household chores is, quote-unquote, very important to a successful marriage. So why aren't we actually sharing them fairly? Mato says this comes down to ideals versus reality. More people identify today with the ideal of an egalitarian relationship, but when it comes to applying those ideals to real-life scenarios, those views don't always hold up. Male-field male couples often talk about valuing equality when things are ideal. When you start throwing in obstacles, they revert back to, well, the man's going to work and the woman's going to stay home. A recent study of 25,000 Harvard Business School graduates, ranging from millennials to baby boomers, clearly illustrates how, when under pressure, we default back to gender norms. In essence, putting women back in the kitchen. While both male and female Harvard MBA graduates expressed similar levels of career ambition, more than half of graduating men expected their careers to take precedence over their spouses. Most graduating women, however, expected their careers to be just as important as their partners. When asked how these expectations held up to reality, men said their expectations were met, while women had lower career success and satisfaction. The same trend held true when it came to childcare. When looking at the Gen X and baby boomer population of Harvard grads, most men expected their partners to take primary responsibility for childcare, while only half of women expected to take on that role. Whether they liked it or not, however, more than two-thirds of women ended up doing most of the child rearing. While many millennial women who are Harvard graduates haven't yet had children, the future for them will likely follow a similar trend. Among these millennial women, 42% expect to take responsibility for childcare, compared to 66% of millennial men who expect them to. This study suggests something very interesting, if not sinister. While many of us identify with the ideal of an equal partnership, we're still recreating the gender roles we claim to have moved beyond. And this brings us back to Crystal and Amanda, before meeting Amanda, Crystal had only dated men. Did you ever feel when dating men like you were put into a certain role because of being a woman or? Um, no, although I've had a much more, I do have a very sort of typical feminine expression um, physically. And I definitely have had experiences that I know that Amanda hasn't had in terms of just feeling uncomfortable in certain situations or feeling unheard by men. And so I definitely experienced some of that in dating. And I mean, the closest that I was willing to come to gender stereotypes was uh, I'd let him pay for dinner. <laughs> right. 
But uh, I love a free meal, so I would let anybody pay for dinner. (laughs) I love you, Crystal. (laughs) When Crystal met Amanda, she was confronted with some of her own assumptions about gender that she hadn't been fully aware of. I had never dated a lady, and so I thought that women had a lot of feelings, which they do. And that Um, was a bad thing. (laughs) And that didn't really seem like something that I felt like I wanted to navigate, particularly at that time in my life. But then I met Amanda, and she did have a lot of feelings, but she was also really articulate about talking about them, which, like, I found out later, everybody has a lot of feelings, just some people can't talk about them very well. (laughs) While Crystal has learned to talk about her feelings, Amanda admits... I do have a lot of them. She was right. Amanda's openness about her feelings is pretty much where her stereotypically female qualities end. I have a totally different experience than what a lot of other women I know have. Even though I identify as a woman, I have a pretty non-binary gender expression. I don't look like a typical female and I don't behave like a typical female. So I didn't come in with a bunch of that stuff into this relationship. Interestingly, Amanda's early modeling of gender roles was much more traditional than Crystal's. My mom was always the primary breadwinner. My dad would work kind of here or there he was actually a real estate agent but only in our tiny community so he was mostly a stay-at-home dad and so he would take us to school and I think they shared the load of like making dinner relatively equally I don't quite remember who was cooking (laughs) um and so I got to watch all of that sort of play out in a not super traditional way and then my dad passed away when I was 10 and so then it was just my mom and she was single for the whole time that I was still at home so I didn't have a whole like a very traditional model I didn't really have a model at all I felt like (laughs) it was just what it was Hmm. and so I think that the thing that it really highlighted for me was that Everybody's family gets to be whatever they want it to be. Amanda's family, on the other hand, still expects certain norms from her and Crystal. I had a much more traditional family structure in terms of gender roles. My um, dad worked. Um, My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Every time we talk almost about us having kids, she talks about one of us being able to stay home with the kids. And that's not necessarily something that we are planning to do Um, in terms of like one of us is going to be a full-time housewife kind of thing Mm -hmm. and she I think it just explodes her brain that we wouldn't do that from talking to Crystal and Amanda and Tomatos I saw a theme forming the inability to fall back on gender roles seemed to leave same-sex couples more free to create their own blueprint for the relationship with um, same-sex couples you start off going well we can never be this cultural ideal. It's impossible. We are not a a male-female couple, so we have to figure it out from the very beginning. And I think that um, has always set same-sex couples free to investigate and look for more uh, satisfying scenarios with a little less baggage. But one result of the study surprised Matos. 
While same-sex couples skewed more toward equality and didn't divide chores along gender lines, they still divided labor more than you would think, and not always evenly. The thing that um, a lot of people assume about same-sex couples is that they are going to be perfectly equal in all things, and that's just not true. I was surprised to see just how much division of labor there really was in same-sex couples, and realizing that division of labor is not itself the problem. This is where things get interesting. According to the study, equality wasn't an indicator for relationship satisfaction. The study found no difference in satisfaction between same-sex and mixed-sex couples. So the question of what are same-sex couples doing right doesn't have such a clear answer. What all couples need is equality in voice. They need equality in um, decision-making. But the decisions they make don't all have to say, you do half the work and I do half the work. It has to say, we are each doing the work that we both think that we should be doing. This lines up with Crystal and Amanda's experience. When asked, they were quick to let me know that they actually don't split their housework fairly. It's never going to be 100% equal. Somebody is always going to have to work more because of a reason, and then that might be like that that year, and then the next year it won't. And she, Crystal, always has more time to pick up the house, and part of that is that she works from home, and she works probably as many hours as I do, if not more sometimes. But when she gets up to go in the kitchen or do something or take a break, she's in the house, and so she just ends up picking up and cleaning up more than I do because I'm gone 10 hours out of the day. So for me, that feels like an imbalance. And we've talked about that in the last year and a half since I've had a job where I commute. And I don't like how that feels because I feel like she's pulling way more weight than I am around the house. And, you know, I think we just know that it won't always be like this. And it, the, the balance will shift back in another direction. Like you can't take one year out of your entire life you're going to spend together and be like, oh, this is, our relationship is now imbalanced, you know? That's like saying, well, I ate a cheeseburger today and so I'm nutritionally imbalanced. You're not. Amanda and Crystal communicate regularly and look at not only what's more practical, but what each person wants to do on a regular basis. I mean, I see, I, I see the imbalance. I spend more time doing things on the house, but I am really happy to do those things for us in our home because they're what I want to do for us and what needs to be done and all of those things, but there's never an expectation that I have to do them. For me, it's just like, all right, well, you're good at this one thing and I'm good at this one thing, so we'll divide it up like that. Or I hate this chore and you don't mind it, so we'll do that until we reach a chore that we both hate and then we just have to do it. But um, so our life just sort of from my perspective, just became more structured around questions like that, as opposed to you're a man or you are a woman, and so this is what is expected of you. We've uncovered a big finding. While same-sex couples have broken out of gender roles, they're not any more satisfied with the breakdown of chores than other couple types. That's because in all couple types, Matos found that women were less likely to speak up and therefore were more likely to feel resentful. Things were so often left unsaid, or they just allowed assumptions to stand because they didn't want to have the conflict. The people who 
didn't voice their desires were the ones who were least happy. And those tended to be women in uh, relationships with men. Uh, and so I think one of the key things that women should do is voice what they want early um, and have a vision of what they want. I think a lot of times people allow things to form organically and then you have to backtrack. And that backtracking is harder than going into something and saying, this is where I want this to go. Men are trained generally to respond to complaints. They're not generally told hey, you should be empathetic and notice whether or not somebody may or may not be happy. And they're allowing this process to continue going down the road that ends up with women doing things that they don't necessarily want to be doing. At this point in the interview with Matos, I had a hard time hearing women take all the blame for this unhealthy dynamic. Weren't men the ones benefiting from the current system and therefore likely to resist any attempts to change it, even if women did speak up more? When I asked Matos about this, he challenged the idea that men are benefiting from the current system and painted a more complex picture. Men both benefit and suffer. So there's, in terms of money and power, men do benefit um, by having the, having the wife to support their careers and opportunities. They suffer in that they end up with lower health outcomes. They are more likely to be depressed or sad, especially after a divorce, because women tend to hold on to all the social relationships. And so in the divorce, the man's left alone and the woman actually gets to keep the support network. So she um, emotionally comes out of it a lot more healthy. And so there's this interesting um, dynamic of Again, because men aren't supposed to value their emotional health, they're not supposed to engage with conversations about their physical health, they're supposed to be stoic, they are not able to really recognize the ways in which they're actually being hurt by this scenario. According to Matos, gender roles are more rigid for men, making it difficult for them to break free. If you want proof of this, Matos said you need look no further than how our society treats gay men. Gay men have to face not being able to live up to that masculine ideal the moment they say that they're gay. Because that masculine ideal is very much built around not being gay. I mean, being gay is the ultimate insult for a lot of straight men still. Um, And so I think that when you come out and you accept that you're going to have a relationship with another man, there is sort of a breaking of a lot of your sense of what's it going to be. To give a personal example, I think of my wedding as being an interesting experience because our parents sort of didn't know what to do. They they were like, what does a gay wedding look like? And so it could be anything because it could never be one of us in a white dress and one of us in a tux, at least the way we manage our gender identities. And so the door was open, whereas... I think for straight men, there are very few doors unless they're sort of so confident in their masculinity that they can tell off the people who start doubting them. Um, I, I think I am uniquely privileged to hear men talking about their conflicts around household issues and childcare in ways that aren't straightforwardly, well, I just don't do these things. I've gotten to hear men saying, I don't know what I should be doing because 
every one of my choices is kind of wrong somehow. In Mato's opinion, if all men could break free the way gay men have been forced to, we'd be a lot better off. I personally believe that a lot of the reason why uh, feminism has sort of stalled in a lot of places is there isn't enough conversation about how men and masculinity needs to change to allow men to hold on to a sense of, you know, I am a man, I am manly in this society, but that means I clean up after my kids. Like, those two things have to be fused, and right now they're still kept very much apart. Uh, masculinity is too much defined by not being these feminine things, and so that creates a huge tension for them that women end up having to clean up the mess around because then the things don't get cleaned at all. I see men and women, when they form couples, sort of chained to one another. Uh, the lives they live are going to influence the lives their partner lives. And then they're each chained to this idea of either femininity or masculinity. Women have managed to pull the concept of femininity out of the ground. That spike's no longer holding them. They're still attached to it, but they can move it. Men are still attached to what that concept of masculinity is. It's firmly embedded in the ground. And so women can only go as far as those chains between them, men, and that idea of masculinity will allow. Um, so even though we have this new expansive idea of what women can be, if men are still trapped in a small gender identity, women really can't achieve their fullness because they keep getting yanked back by the fact that men are not um, as free to be different yet. I don't know about you, but I heard a lot of good news in this. At first, I didn't want to hear that women should speak up more. I was speaking up and I only saw it leading to more fights. But finally, I was beginning to realize that part of the problem was that I was going into these conversations with a negative view toward men. Now seeing that men are stuck in gender roles and are suffering because of it gave me a new sense of compassion. And as it turned out, I had some introspection to do around the way I was communicating. I had slipped into an adversarial mindset and it had become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Don't get me wrong, I know that my frustrations have been warranted, but acting hostile about it was only making it worse. So I began trying to talk about housework when I wasn't already feeling pissed off. Right away, I noticed my results were a million times better when I came into conversations while we were having a good time together and feeling at ease. Even with all our progress, my husband, like many men, just isn't as likely to take the lead on cooking or cleaning as I am even though he's very willing at this point to help when I bring it up. This still bothers me, but I'm seeing that we're moving in the right direction. And seeing progress feels encouraging. Because if I learned anything from Matos, it's that we all benefit when we can communicate about how we want to live together. If you're in a couple, you can choose at any point to revisit what that looks like. For me, right now, that means aiming for more teamwork and to relieve some of the pressure leaving room in the budget for a monthly cleaning service. I'll leave you with this perspective from Amanda. It makes a great jumping off point for starting conversations at home. I think it would be an interesting experiment to take two people that had very strong ideas about gender roles and then ask them to sit down and have a conversation and try to see themselves as not having a gender and see what happened. Like, uh, you know, 
a woman might want to stay home with the kids and be a stay-at-home mom and cook and clean, and that might make her really happy, and that's totally fine. But does she want that because she wants that, or does she want that because she thinks that that's what she's supposed to want? And the tables flip too for men, you know. And so if everybody could just sit down and say, this is who I want to be, and this is what I want out of out of my life and my time and how I want to participate in our family and our relationship, regardless of what's in your pants. <laughs> um, I think it would be a really interesting experiment. I've obviously never been in that situation, but um, I think that lots of people bring expectations and history with them about what they've been, what they've seen, what they've grown up with, what their, you know, what their friends are like and what kind of roles are playing out around them. Um, and if you could just strip all that away and take those two people and say, what do, what do you really want? Like, what do you want your life to be like? And what do you want it to be shaped like? And how do you want to be a parent? And how do you want to be a partner? And how do you want to be all these things that you're going to be in your life? Would be a really cool thing to find out. Thank you for listening to Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast that explores the meeting place between feminist ideals and the realities of women's lives. I'm Donna Cleveland, the host and producer of this show. The theme song is by Mira Oberdyke. Original music is by Taylor Ross. And episode artwork is by Chosie Titus. Thank you to Molly Bloom of American Public Media for being my mentor. Before I go, I'd like to ask for your help. This show is an independent podcast and a passion project. If you're enjoying Thread the Needle, please leave a review, share your favorite episode on social media, or tell a group of your friends about the show. It really makes a huge difference. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be back next month with another episode.